You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Welcome to you, and welcome back to y'all. Uh, I don't know what kind of break you had. I'm sure of at least a couple of ways that you, of what you did over the break. I'm positive that you saw Star Wars. That, um, that uh, the bulk of you watched Making a Murderer in one sitting. And uh, I know that from January 1st until school started, you watched way too much Netflix. Because it was just way too long of a break, and you Netflixed it out. Uh, I don't know if you're watching this show anymore. Catherine and I kind of have lost interest in it, uh, but we used to be into Modern Family, and uh, if you've seen the show or are familiar or are still way into the show, you know that the main, one of the main characters of the show is kind of the quirky, funny, silly, stupid dad, Phil Dunphy. And in one particular episode, which I thought was really funny, he writes a book which is a book that he calls Philosophy, which is his, he collects these little one-liner sayings that he decided to write down, little life lessons that he writes and compiles to pass down to his children. And so before we read uh, the passage that's on your handout, I just thought it would be appropriate to reference a couple of Phil's Office's book. And so here's a couple of one-liners from that book. Here's one. If you love something, set it free, unless it's a tiger. (laughs) You can tell a lot about a person from his biography. (laughs) So stupid. Uh, Success is 1% inspiration, 98% perspiration, and 2% attention to detail. Here's one. If, If you're ever in a jam... A crayon mustache scrunched up under your nose makes a pretty good pretend mustache. (laughs) I don't know what that means. And the last one, when life gives you lemonade, make lemons. Life will be like, what? So there you go. So Phil Dunphy collects this little book of little one-liner sayings to pass on to his children. And uh, it's interesting that the Bible has its own little collection of one-liner Sayings. Only these aren't just ridiculous, stupid, pithy, fortune cookie kind of things. Uh, this is the book of Proverbs, which is primarily intended to address one area of life that I think is really interesting because no other, no one else in our contemporary culture is talking about this particular area. And it's really the area of wisdom. How do we develop wisdom? So kind of by way of introduction, I just want to read uh, a couple of verses out of chapter 1, bam, and then one little verse from chapter 4. You have it in your handout, or you can look along in your Bible or your smartphone or whatever, or just listen. But I'll, I'll read it. It reads this. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, 
to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then on to chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If you would like to pray before we consider this, and then we'll just look at it together. Cool? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time to be together. Thank you for safely bringing us back. Thank you for the new faces, for the returning faces. I pray that in these next few moments you would teach us and you would guide us and that your spirit would soften our hearts and open up our eyes so that we would be able to see and behold beautiful things in your word. And we would ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting that in this country, at least, the way that we do education is that you start when you're about four or five years old. You go to school and you learn the alphabet, you learn numbers, and then you progress. You kind of get older and you move on to the next thing, which is kind of like learning simple math, and you're doing some art, and then you progress, and uh, you start getting older and you start learning cool sciencey stuff, Roy G. Biv, and you progress a little further and you get into some American history, some Alexander Hamilton, and... Um, you keep going and you graduate high school and then you come to college and you keep learning stuff, only it's a lot more complex. You're learning architecture, you're learning engineering, uh, philosophy, business. But here's the thing. You're, you're in school, in this country at least, if you go to college, for 16 years of your life. 16 years for formal education and academic training. Like That's a long time when you step back and think about it. So here's the question then. Uh, Where do you learn how to do relationships? Because there's no class on how to relate to your parents at UT that I know of. Uh, There's no major here on how to relate to your roommates. So how do we we figure out how to do relationships? Well, we just kind of wing it. We just kind of figure it out as we go. Uh, How do you learn how to make good decisions? There's no class on that. There's no formal training on how you make good decisions. You just kind of figure it out as you go. How do you learn how to relate to technology? Or how do you learn how to deal with your emotions? Or how do you learn uh, how to juggle your workload? Like, there are no classes on any of this. You just wing it. And I would say that the bulk of our life are spent uh, winging it through areas of life that there are no real, uh, there's no real training in and there are no real rules for. And that's a lot of the reason why I think uh, we go through life with so much frustration and confusion and pain and we also carry around so much baggage and regret because we're blindly navigating our way through really complex things in life and we don't know what we're doing a lot of the time. And in steps this book called Proverbs that says, and really the burden of this book is not for us to blindly navigate through really complex hard areas of life but to walk through it with wisdom. With wisdom. And so what I want to do tonight is look at this passage and kind of get into this book and look at what wisdom is and look at how you get it. 
So this is the two big ideas I want to look at. What it is, and then how you get it. So first let's look at what wisdom is. If you look at verse 1, it reads this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That's just kind of setting up that this book was written and compiled by this dude named Solomon, who was the king of Israel. And it tells you why he writes it in the next few verses. Look at, look at his main reason. Look at the next ver- the verse, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. Now, the word wisdom in Hebrew literally means the word skill. It's like the skill that, of, a, like a, of a craftsman or of a carpenter. But what kind of skill is this talking about specifically? It's talking about skill at life. Like how to do life in a skillful way. In some sense, that's kind of what wisdom is. And it's interesting, uh, when um, King Solomon first becomes enthroned, God comes to him, you can read this in the the Bible, this is from 1 Kings chapter 3. God comes to him and says, hey, ask me, Whatever you want. Ask me whatever you want. It's like a genie in a bottle sort of situation. Ask me whatever you want, I'll grant it to you. And Solomon asks for this. He says, uh, he asks for a wise and discerning heart to distinguish between right and wrong. God, give me a wise heart to distinguish between right and wrong. Which is really interesting because King Solomon had the Bible. And doesn't the Bible clearly tell you what's right and wrong? I mean, aren't the Ten Commandments pretty black and white? Why would Solomon ask for a heart to know what is right and wrong when he already had the Bible? Here's why. Because wisdom involves walking through the gray areas of life where a whole lot of black and white rules don't apply. I mean, think about, um, think about the Ten Commandments. Again, pretty clear. Don't murder. Don't lie. Uh, only worship God. Don't commit adultery. These are relatively black and white. Uh, But the the Ten Commandments can't tell you who you should room with next year. Or they don't tell you, like the Bible doesn't tell you uh, where you should live and what you should major in and how many hours you should take and whether or not you should confront your friend or not, Uh, whether or not you should ask your boss for a raise, Uh, how many dates you need to go on before you DTR it. Whether or not you should even go on a date at all. Whether or not you should get engaged to the person that you're dating. Whether or not you should break up with them. Like, the Bible doesn't tell you um, these sorts of things. These are black and white rules applied to the gray area of life. And 95% of your life, I would say, is lived in the gray area. Where the rules don't really apply. Some of you might know, um, I'm a big fan of the show Breaking Bad. I miss it. I'm ready for Better Call Saul to come back, like yesterday. And, uh, but if you're familiar with the show, the show centers around this guy named Walter White, who, if you were to sketch a, a character profile of Walter White, you would say uh, he is incredibly brilliant. He's a brilliant chemist. Uh, he's very business savvy. He's quick on his feet. And yet, if you were to look at the decisions that he makes, he, he, is, in, he is lacking wisdom big time. Because he makes one foolish decision after the next. And by the end of the whole series of the show, his life is just wreckage. Anyone that's close to him has been destroyed. And what we learn by this is that wisdom really has nothing to do with intelligence. You can be a smart person and get straight A's and flunk at life. Uh, You can be incredibly smart, and I would say a lot of you are. 
Y'all are brilliant in many ways. And yet, if we're honest, we'd say the way that I relate to life, not winning. Don't know what I'm doing a lot of the time. Think about some of, th- think about some of the ways that you um, just structure your day. Some of you stay up till 2 or 3 a.m., sleep till 11 or 12, book it to your class, uh, get to class, and then you have a two-hour period until your next class, and you're, you, you use it on your phone or kind of hanging out with your your bros at the lib, and um, and then you're wondering why why do I always feel like I'm behind in class, and why am I always so stressed out with schoolwork? Like you don't have a time management problem, you don't have a schedule problem, you have a wisdom problem. That's a lack of wisdom on how to structure your day and when to go to sleep. But like you're not going to find that in the Bible. That is a gray area. So what wisdom is, if I can kind of define it for you in a nutshell, is this. It is skill at life. It's skill at living life well. And here's the second big idea that I want to look at with you tonight, is how do you get it? Because what's crazy is that the Bible says you can actually get it. You can develop wisdom. You can go through life well. How do you do it? Well, if you're going to develop skill at life, uh, the first thing that you need to recognize is that you are living your life in God's universe. Now, I know that's a big claim that I just made, and I don't have time to really prove it, but the the book of Proverbs just assumes that it's true that you and I live in a world that's designed by God. And you can go with the grain of that design and therefore flourish, or go against the grain of that design and therefore introduce damage. Think about how the world is structured. There There are physical, social, natural, physical designs to the world. Let's think about the physical design of the world. Physically speaking, there's good food and there's bad food. There's healthy food and there's not healthy food. If you decide to eat healthy food, guess what's going to happen? You're going to live longer. You're going to be healthier. That's you going with the grain of the physical design of the universe. If you decide instead, I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I'm going to eat only Pop-Tarts and Hot Pockets. You will be happier than the rest of us. But you will die by April. Like, that's the truth. You're going against the grain of, the phys- of God's physical design for the universe, and you introduce damage. Think about the social design of the universe. Uh, you can choose to be uh, a resentful, bitter, contentious person that holds grudges. And or you could choose to be someone that's forgiving and gracious and kind. If you're someone that's forgiving and gracious and kind, uh, relationships are going to go well for you. Uh, generally speaking, you'll have healthy, flourishing relationships. But if you choose to instead give in to your instincts and selfishly hold grudges and bitter and retaliate, then people will not want to be around you and you'll just go from one friend group to the next and you'll introduce damage into your social life. You're going against the grain of God's design for the universe. There's a physical design, there's a social design, and think about there's a spiritual design. There's a way that you are hardwired spiritually speaking. What is it? Look at, this is where I wanted to look at this passage from, verse, um, from chapter 4. It reads this. <clears throat> Keep your heart with all vigilance, for, f- for from it flow the spring of life. This is saying this. Whatever your heart is gripped by, whatever you love, from that love flows the rest of your life. Another way to put it is this. Whatever you love controls the decisions that you make in life. 
Whatever has gripped your heart determines the choices that you make in your life. That's the principle here. So think about it like this. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the show uh, The Office. Um, but there's uh, this amazing, one, probably one of my favorite episodes is when, uh, you, know, you know when Michael Scott left and it just was really sad for a while and you didn't know if The Office was going like, to recover from the slump and they brought in all these different celebrities. They brought in Will Ferrell for a few episodes. And Will Ferrell plays one, maybe one of my favorite characters ever, D'Angelo Vickers. And D'Angelo Vickers uh, thinks that Andy in the office is like the office funny guy. But the only thing is he doesn't laugh at Andy's jokes. He only laughs when Andy like hurts himself. So they're in the break room that one time, if you remember this, this is, this is the best scene ever. And Will Ferrell comes in and he's like, oh. And Andy's in there. He's like, make me laugh. Make me laugh, funny boy. I'm having a hard day. And Andy doesn't know what to do. So the first thing he does is he puts his hand in the toaster. And he's like, ah! And like Will Ferrell like starts kind of mildly chuckling. And he picks up this huge tub of cheese balls and like dumps it all over himself. And Will Ferrell, like D'Angelo's starting to giggle a little bit more. Then he gets the hot coffee off the pot and pours it on his crotch. It's just like ridiculous. And then Will Ferrell, D'Angelo Vickers is like, Drink the drink the soap. Eat the soap, and they get the soap dispenser. He's like squirting it in his mouth. It's like the most ridiculous scene ever. It's amazing. But here's the question: Why? Why is Andy making these really foolish choices? Why is he allowing coffee to be poured on himself and eating soap? Why would he be so foolish? It's because in his heart of hearts, what he loves is the approval of the boss. The boss looks at him and recognizes him as somebody different. And he, he loves that so much, he is willing to just sort of sacrifice all of his dignity and you know, everything else in order to give in to this thing that he loves. Whatever you love controls how you live your life. And here's the thing. You and me, our hearts were designed by God to have our heart of hearts filled with love and adoration of God himself. That's how we are hardwired. Our hearts are hardwired to be centered on God alone. And from that, once that happens, from that flows a life of wisdom, of making wise choices, not foolish ones. This is is what Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 is trying to get across. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Which here the word knowledge is a synonym for wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what does that phrase mean? Does God want us to be afraid of him? The fear of the Lord. No, it does not mean for us to be afraid of him. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, it's really helpful. God has just come down with the Ten Commandments, and everyone is freaking out and terrified and afraid. And it says in verse 20 this, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. You see what he's saying? He is saying, do not be afraid, but I'm going to do something so that you have this thing called the fear of the Lord. These two ideas are set in contrast to each other. Biblically speaking, when that phrase is used, it does not mean to be afraid of God. It means to be in awe of God. To revere him, to adore him, to find him majestic and delightful, uh, to, to love him, to submit to him. It means to have your heart gripped by the reality of who God is. 
And your heart and my heart was hardwired in such a way that we go with the grain, excuse me, we go with the grain of God's design with reality when our hearts are set on him. And we go against the grain of reality when our hearts are not. Think about this. Some of you, in your heart of hearts, your most ultimate love is not God. For some of you, it is um, having a romantic relationship. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe it's just finding somebody that can love you and treasure you. Like that is at the center of your heart, what you want. You want to be happily married. But because you have set that at the center of your heart, it has spilled your life out into really foolish decisions. So for some of you, because in your heart of heart you so desperately want to be married and want to be together with somebody, that you're so overly picky. Your standards are crazy high that the person that you're looking for essentially has to be Jesus. They have to be hot. They have to be kind. They have to be hilarious. They have to be smart. They have to like the same movies that you do. They have to like the same music that you like. They have to like the same food that, they, that you like. They have to be warm. They have to be strong. And if you're a girl and they're a guy, they have to be taller than you. They essentially have to be perfect. So you're either incredibly picky, so much so that you never find anybody, or your standards are so low, you're so desperate to get into a relationship with somebody that you'll just take whoever, and you get into bad relationships, and you're in that relationship, and you become so overly emotionally dependent on that person, you smother them, and the relationship becomes broken. <clears throat> so but either you're so picky, you never find somebody, or you are so dependent on that person you smother them, and in both scenarios, you, you don't get what you want. If you want to undermine <clears throat> your chances of ever being happily married, just be obsessed about being happily married, and you'll never get it. You see how that's foolish? <clears throat> I have no idea what's happening with my throat. <clears throat> but you see how that's foolish? When you set in your heart of heart this thing I want to be married so bad, you will live your life in such a way that you're guaranteed to never have it. Or at least never be happily married. That's the epitome of foolishness. But maybe for you it's not um, being married or being in a relationship. Let's just substitute that out with this desire for success. That you so desperately want to be recognized by your peers or by your professors or by your family that you're brilliant and that you're smart and that you're competent and you've got a better resume than everybody else. And so you work crazy hard because that's what you love. And what that means is you always sacrifice emotional health, physical health, spiritual health over your schoolwork. You always choose schoolwork over friends and family and fun and spiritual life. And if you take that and stretch it over a long period of time, you are guaranteed to burn out, which undermines your ability to do your work well. So in your heart of hearts, you want to be successful, you want to work well, it's guaranteed to not let you work well. You'll burn out faster than anybody else. You see how that's foolish? That's you going against the grain of reality. Set in your heart anything, and all of us do. And anyways, that's why we make the foolish choices that we do. So how do we develop this thing called the fear of the Lord then? How do we get God at the center of our heart of hearts where that we really do find him precious and beautiful and that our life begins to actually walk in wisdom? How do you develop wonder over who God is? This is really the um, question I kind of want to end with. 
if you look at um, 1 Kings chapter 4, and in some ways we're going to try to answer this question all semester of how we develop the fear of the Lord so that we can walk in wisdom. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we're going to try to answer this over the course of the whole semester. But for tonight, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 4, you get this little profile about the wisdom of Solomon, how wise he really was back in the day. It says he's wiser than all these people from the east and wiser than all these people from Egypt. It kind of lists all these wise people. It says he's wiser than him, he's wiser than him, he's wiser than him. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. Uh, people, other kings from other nations and other countries and other empires would send delegates to come to Solomon just to chill at his feet and listen and learn and glean from his wise insights. He was like the epitome of wisdom. And it's really interesting if you go to the New Testament... In Luke chapter 11, it says that now there is someone that is greater than Solomon that is here. In Luke chapter 11, verse 29, it says this about Jesus. Now one greater than Solomon is here. The greater Solomon shows up when Jesus shows up. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ. Jesus is the very wisdom of God. And if you look into his life just for a little bit, you would be able to see he mastered the gray areas of life. He knew when to speak and when to not. He knew when to engage and when to be aggressive and when to be gentle. He he knew when to be present and when to retreat. He knew when to confront and when to step away. He, He knew how to navigate all the dark, blind complexities of life because he was the epitome of wisdom himself. Now, is the way that you um, cultivate fear of the Lord, do you just look at how wise Jesus is and say, wow, that's awesome for him? Is that how you develop wonder? You just look at Jesus and like, are trying to be blown away by how wise he was? Well, think about this. Um, if you watch Steph Curry at all, you could be blown away with wonder because the dude's a freak. He's just like a basketball He's a freak. He's so good. He's a phenom. And so if you were to look at him, you would just be blown away with wonder at how good he was. It's easy to cultivate wonder when you just see somebody that's awesome. But if I were to say to you, your only hope of doing life well is if you are able to play as good as him. Now, wonder is gone and that crushes you. Because you realize, I can never play as good as him. There's no way I can ever be as good as him. If you think that the way that you develop wisdom and wonder for God is just to look at Jesus and try to go be like him, that will not cultivate wonder and adoration. That will crush you. Because you can't be as wise as Jesus. The way that you develop adoration and wonder is that you look at wisdom incarnate. And you see that he was willing to become a fool. Willing to be treated as a fool. For you. That someone who is infinitely wise willingly allowed himself to be mocked and spat upon and punched and nailed to a cross out of love for fools like you and me. And when you see that, when you begin to see that Jesus, the, the ultimate wisdom of God, became the fool of the world, that's how that develops fear of the Lord. 
that's how your heart starts to get activated. And once that heart is activated into actually finding God beautiful on what he has done in your place, you're on the road to becoming wise. You're on the road to wisdom. And what we're going to do this semester in RUF is we're going to just going to walk down that road together week in and week out and see what does a life of wisdom actually look like as it relates to things like social media, to your anxiety, to um, sex, to friendships, uh, to how you uh, relate to your schoolwork, to how you find God's will. All this stuff we're going to look at in Proverbs. And so... Uh, My invitation for you tonight would just be to come back. Come back and explore this book with us as we learn what it means to develop not only the fear of the Lord, but a life of wisdom that flows from it. So consider that an invitation. Let me pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it instructs us and guides us and points us to the Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would enable our hearts to be centered on you once again. Father, I know, especially with folks coming off the break, that folks come in here and find themselves at the start of a new semester in lots of different spiritual places. Some of us are incredibly uh, ridden with guilt and shame over foolish decisions we've made over the break. Uh, Some of us are just eager and excited to get jumped back into life again. Some of us are already overwhelmed with school and stuff that's happening. Uh, Some of us have come off really horrible breaks just with our parents and being at home and just being around uh, the drama and the hardship of being around family. So, Father, I pray that you would meet us tonight and then lead us this semester by your hand. Lead us into what it would look like to fear you, to adore you, to, to submit to you, and therefore to live a life of wisdom and response. Father, do this in me and do this in these folks here tonight. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.